0: Science. Science po.
1: If we live as if there is no tomorrow, there will be no tomorrow. What Keeps You Up at Night is a podcast produced by the Sciences Po Journalism School and the Paris School of International Affairs.
0: Here, we bring you personal stories from political leaders around the world. How do they balance their responsibilities? How do they deal with their doubts? And how do they manage their priorities? With those questions in mind, we want to dive into the hopes and dilemmas that come with being in charge. I am Mariana Diabreo, And I am Danish Saha. And this is what keeps you up at night. Our guest today is the Honorable Madam Mia Amor Motley, the Prime Minister of Barbados. An attorney at law by training, Madame Motley is the island nation's first female prime minister, serving in the role since 2018. She was first elected to the Barbadian parliament in 1991 as a member of the Senate, before being brought into the government during the subsequent elections in 1994. Madame Motley has championed the fight against climate change, demanding the international community to step up and fulfill their commitments under the 2015 Paris Agreement. Madame Motley made headlines in 2021 after a fiery address at the UNFCCC's COP26 conference held in Glasgow. Madame Motley solemnly asked the Assembly, When will leaders lead? We sat down with Madame Motley for a brief chat. Thank you, Madam Prime Minister, for joining us today.
1: It's my pleasure to be here.
0: Please, tell us, what keeps you up at night?
1: Oh, many things, good and bad. Um, Good if I'm listening to music and reading, and bad if I'm thinking about what's happening in the world and why we can't get political leaders to act with greater resolve because the world is facing triple crises that regrettably makes the world seem too much like it looked a 100 years ago. And a 100 years ago, at this point in time, we were between the two great wars, and I don't think any of us want to go there. Regrettably, um, in 2018, September, when I first addressed the United Nations General Assembly, I made that exact point, but I didn't realize that the world was going to prove me correct, both in terms of the new version of Spanish flu, the COVID pandemic, or in terms of the war in Ukraine, or in terms of the inflationary pressures that have served only to increase poverty and to literally put out of reach, regrettably, development for too many countries in a world that is still not yet responding to them with the alacrity that it ought to and with the moral strategic leadership that it needs to if we are to save lives and livelihoods. So we would do well to remember that we are just here for a time, And that we must do our best to ensure that the stewardship which we deliver can hand over the countries and civilizations intact to the next generation.
0: There's a lot of things to unpack (laughs) there, but you spoke about these issues that really impact you. And as being in the position of a leader, what have you been able to do about all of these things that impact us, take us back to a word, 100 years ago.
1: We're fighting multiple battles. Look, we can't win all of them overnight, but we can claim ground and move on as much as we can. Take, for example, um, Barbados has introduced in our debt, our bonds, clauses for what we call natural disaster clauses, such that if we get hit by a hurricane tomorrow, not would, I pray not, that we will be able to immediately suspend our debt payments for two years. Now, this gives the lender certainty that they will be repaid rather than worrying whether the climate event will cause us difficulties such that we don't repay. When that happens, um, you need long-term financing to get out of that situation in the same way that the United Kingdom understood at the end of World War One that it could not simply pay back its borrowings from work to fight World War I in a few years, and in fact took its two loans of 1914 and 1917, consolidated them in 1932 into basically a perpetual loan, and only repaid the debt in 2014, a 100 years after the first bond. Why? Because you couldn't borrow to win the war and borrow to rebuild after the war. But we seem to use different metrics and forget what countries genuinely need to rebuild. So that there has to be an honesty and transparency about these debates that regrettably we're not having, and that's part and parcel why the world is appearing to be so divided and so many fault lines exist.
0: What do you think young people in Barbados expect from you?
1: Oh, to be able to make sure that they too, like their parents, can expect a better life. And regrettably, this is the first generation that is now potentially facing the possibility that their quality of life may not be as good as the previous generation. And that's the hardest part to swallow about all of this. I do believe that the things that we are fighting for, I gave you the example of the natural disaster clause, but we're also fighting for other reforms within the international financial environment that stop small states from having to act as though we're pariahs and from being subject to a level of bullying and lack of transparency, um, like I just expressed. And regrettably, those are the things that are putting at risk the sustainable development goals, which are simply our natural development path. If you are consumed with fighting these other crises, you're going to have difficulty finding the kind of long-term capital that is needed to pursue development. Now, when leaders don't engage face-to-face, regrettably, when you have small states leaders and large country leaders not talking, um, then you have the possibility of people being unequally yoked. And therefore, the decisions that ought to be made by sensible people are not being made Because we're not talking with each other. And I'm not talking about talking to each other. I'm not talking about talking in the same place at different times. I'm talking about talking with each other. It is an amazing thing. We believe that the world can be ruled by the G7 and the G20 countries. Don't even have any Africa Union, which has three and a half times the size of what Europe has as a population. So we have to ask ourselves whether we're still not living in a world that has continued to reflect the old imperial order, um, from the structure of the Security Council, structure of G7 and G20, to also the the, the manner in which um, the international financial institutions are governed, who gets to choose who in what institution, and to recognize that many of these rules were made at a time when the global community, before decolonization, How the United Nations started with 50 countries. There are 193 countries today. Um, So these are some of the deep issues that I think we need to resolve if we're going to see progress again and if we're going to give hope to young people because young people need development. Young people need opportunities. Young people need space.
0: You're listening to What Keeps You Up At Night with Prime Minister of Barbados, Mia Motley. when it comes to raising awareness about the climate crisis you have had meaningful success about it and just like raising the issue but looking back is there anything that you regret and if so what have you learned
1: from that i think that the it's not so much regret it's it's, it's more understanding that this is a far more nuanced battle than we realize and as I've been saying in recent times, because you see, we live in a world of narrow casting, not broadcasting. We live in a world where people listen to what they want to hear more often than not, rather than listen to what is also out there. And technology has given us that choice to really have a la carte. And yet when broadcasting took place, it required us to be far more tolerant and to listen to other views in narrow casting, we believe that everything can be reduced to four column inches and a 60-second bite. Everything is for a podcast. Well, the world's problems can't be reduced to four column inches or 60 seconds. And to that extent, therefore, we're not going to have the kind of nuanced discussions that we need to have on climate. And what do I mean? I'm almost sounding like a stuck record on this point. So where does that leave us? That we have a situation where the countries are struggling to find the money, but they have resources. And the International Energy Agency says the global energy mix in 2050 is going to require 20% fossil fuels. And those 20% fossil fuels ought to be natural gas or some kind of clean energy bridge. But if the only countries who can do it are the existing countries and new emerging markets that have access to those resources, are being told that they can't borrow or are being prevented from borrowing, then there is something imperialistic about it that's unfair. But secondly, there's another issue beyond that. There's is the issue of supply. I announced in Barbados in, the, in March, in a budget, that we will give a two-year tax holiday on electric cars. But guess what? We can't get them. We can't get them supplied to us. We announced in Barbados that every Barbadian in their owner-occupied house shall have as a right, the right to have a solar panel because we shouldn't only allow foreign capital or regional capital or even lumpy local capital to invest at the exclusion of ordinary people. The wind, the sun, and the, the, the sea are part of the patrimony of the country. But guess what? There's not enough lithium available to make access to batteries readily available. So what are we doing? We're asking countries to transition to net zero by 2030, by 2050. But yet we're not ensuring that the production capacity is there and the opportunity for supply, which has already been disrupted by COVID, is not going to further retard the ability of countries to be able to reach net zero. Now, we can't solve that by doing set-piece events. The world needs to sit down and get about to the production planning that is necessary in the same way that had we sat down in January 2020, and literally worked out a sensible regime for the entire global community with the pandemic, we would not have lost the millions of lives and we would not have lost the livelihoods that we've seen. We haven't even resumed a proper international air travel because of all of the jobs that have been lost and all of the people have been lost. And we will continue to see other disruptions in the global economy, in my view, for a few years, largely because even though the Omicron virus is not killing The bottom line is that they are, in fact, disrupting productivity because people can't work if they're sick.
0: I hope that we have been able to provide here a space to provide more than a 60-second soundbite. (laughs) Thank you very much for sharing your insights with us, Madam Prime Minister. And to all our listeners, thank you for being with us. We hope you'll join us next time. If you've liked this episode, feel free to leave us a comment and a five-star rating. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to access all new episodes. Until then, take care and sleep well.